You're listening to the PR Wind Down Podcast, the show for public relations professionals who are ready to see real change in the PR industry. We are your hosts, April White and Laura Schooler. Let's get ready to wind down. Thunderstorm Central. Laura, how are you? Hi, I'm a little afraid the sky just turned dark gray. It's yeah, like 96 hot. degrees in New York City. Literally, when you walk outside, there's no oxygen and you feel like you just okay. walked into like a pizza oven. That sounds awful. Yeah, so I've been sweating inside, not as yeah, bad as if I was outside. But more important is PR. Yes. Ooh, do you hear that? No, but I think this guy might be falling on podcast interviews. Perhaps. Mm-hmm. Do you like you see what I did there for my for the segue? No, what's the segue? <laughs> I don't get so, it. So I, I'm skipping ahead to PR news of the week because I feel like it's appropriate that the sky is falling. But there's a story in Bloomberg about how podcast guests are paying up to fifty thousand dollars to appear on popular shows, which is outrageous. And most of the time, it's not disclosed. Uh, critics are calling it payola and then they're saying that listeners deserve better disclosure of promotional ties wow so do they give examples of podcasts that are charging this money dave asprey the host of the human upgrade charges guests an average of fifty thousand dollars to appear on his biohacking podcast so that's one example so i've got two questions like is this a podcast that matters And why are people paying this much money to be on it, right? In PR, you don't pay to be on. That's PR, earned. It's earned. I mean, that's changed a lot with the broadcast, though. So a lot of the broadcast opportunities now that the team gets tend to be pay-for-play, even regional ones. Even they'll do a little regional, like, hey, we'll put you on these regional markets for X amount of dollars. And it's direct pay to play but they don't disclose it so right so that's like on local news stations or like local morning shows or whatever and then they air it on other local stations in the region or whatever that the same company owns or has a deal with or whatever is it usually product placement type i mean it tends segments because of the nature of broadcast yeah it does tend to be that or like a book or whatever you know something with a, a product involved and then the same thing is true for some nationals. They end up, okay, yeah, we've got this opportunity. We're doing a roundup of July for barbecue products right. or whatever. And we've got a slot open. It's only $20,000 or whatever it is. So I think that the news media is in denial that it's slowly being taken over by advertising. Yeah. And this is just the latest example where I think What's really unfortunate is I think part of the reason podcasts have gotten so popular is because they have the appearance of not being part of the mainstream news network that people are not trusting for various reasons. I think, you know, questioning the integrity of the shows or publications and who they're being influenced by ad dollar wise or otherwise politically. I think, unfortunately, if podcasts are falling into the same trap, then we no longer have the unbastardized form of news that people trust if this continues 
So it's, it's definitely alarming, I think. What do you think about the amount of money that this article is saying? $50,000? I would like to be paid $50,000 to be on a podcast. I cannot imagine ever paying 50. I mean, for what Joe Rogan, like, <laughs> which right. podcast is worth that? Maybe Joe Rogan, but I don't think Joe Rogan would take it. Yeah, I don't think that he charges. And I know podcasts are expensive to put together and podcasts are struggling with how to make money and it is really time intensive to make them is that it can be very expensive and you know how do you recuperate that money but boy i don't know about making guests pay to be on your show it seems like there's a better way to do that without ruining your credibility as a podcast well right because then the interviewee probably has the right to edit it right if they're paying for it now i think in most cases podcasts like ours you know, that we're not a gotcha podcast. We tell people that, you know, they can edit themselves or tell us later if they, you know, didn't like the way they said something or something came out, et cetera. I guess the thing to me that's the most surprising is how much money they're being charged and that people are paying for one podcast. I mean, you could be getting, I don't know, five or six months of like PR strategy and execution. So it's just crazy to me that somebody would choose to spend that kind of money on one podcast. Who can afford to pay $50,000? What I was saying is that you could take that money and get five or six months of PR strategy and execution and be doing all, hitting all kinds of audiences as opposed to being on one podcast. It's not wise expenditure. <laughs> I feel like you were trying to say it's not strategic, it's not wise, and it's not a good expenditure all in the same right. breath. That was you one word like... I wanted to come up with. Unless <laughs> maybe right, it was Joe Rogan. Then maybe that would make sense, but I don't think he charges people to be on his show. So it's really a marketing play, then, right? It's advertising. It's an advertorial. In the form of a podcast. It, it's alarming. I don't I don't like it. I do not like it. Um, do you think people would pay us $50,000 to be on this show? No, but we could start charging them five. Hey, pay us $5. $5, yeah. I pay us $5 to be on our show. Or it's like, you know, the five cents that Lucy charges the doctor is in, like, on I've, peanuts. And there's a fee for last minute cancellations. Right. I think that we should have a fee for last minute cancellations. We should charge people $50, and if they show up, then they get the money back. And if they don't, we keep it. <laughs> Oh my God, that is so funny. On that note, should we invite our guest of the day, who is also known as our beloved podcast producer, Veronica Yip? Yes, let's get Veronica on the screen. I was going to say, she's in our waiting room, but she's not. She's already in the meeting secretly. She's behind controlling them. About to come like from behind Oz. the curtain, the, right? The, the Oz curtain. It's like the great and powerful Oz comes forward, and there she is. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> So everyone go get on YouTube now so you can see Veronica officially. <laughs> yeah, quite a sight. I had a horrible t-shirt on before this, so you're getting the best version. I, well, thank you for that. And the hair looks glamorous as always. Um, thank you. So Veronica, what do you think about this crazy idea of people paying $50,000 to be on a podcast? So at first I thought it sounded astronomical, but then... I know that there are certain types of podcasts that kind of have a community around them that can be like really, really niche. So I know there are some shows that have like 
an exclusive Facebook group and it's associated with the show and there's thousands of people in it. And if that's something that you're trying to reach, if you have a particularly niche area of expertise or a topic that you're really trying to tap into, and there's a 10,000 person Facebook group associated with this podcast that are like devout followers of this show, then it might be worth investing to get in front of that specific kind of captive audience that is waiting every week for this show to come out. So I can see in a situation like that, that it could be valuable in that way to pay for. So that, cause you're literally trying to like network and connect to the ardent followers of podcast mm-hmm. XYZ. But mm-hmm. I'm thinking, so I'm not begrudging a community or a company or whatever from making money. I don't think that they should charge to be on the podcast though. I think there might be other ways that they can help these people connect to their network that isn't infringing on what seems to be an editorial media uh, interview. You know, you can mm-hmm. charge them to sponsor a an event that you have or charge them to put on an event that they're, you know, either in real in real life or online. Um you can charge them to pay to send some sort of item, you know, to all of the followers. But to have them on an arguably editorial interview, that's my problem. Yeah, I can see that if it is like a news show. I know a lot of them are more narrative or I know true crime is a really big industry and sometimes they'll pay experts to be on the show because they might be, I don't know, a blood splatter expert, for example, and they want this expert opinion. So I've seen that done before, but I guess it would depend on the format of the show. Like if you're presenting as a news broadcast, for example, that's really different than a narrative podcast or a history Mm -hmm. podcast or something like that. Well, that's interesting. So yeah, if if you're on because you're sort of almost like a paid actor or a paid character or something like that, Mm -hmm. that's something different to me because that's like, um, you're on a TV show or right to me, right. That's different. I don't have a problem with that because people get paid to be on TV shows, right? Yeah. Yeah. If it's a sort of creative, like you said, narrative. Well, the other thing is like companies, I mean, I, cause I've done, I've done some consumer PR where you hire a celebrity spokesperson. Right. And in that case, the outlet's not paying. However, the PR firm for film and like product Hyatt Hotels is hiring the bachelor and the bachelorette to come on to talk about their relationship and also mention that they like got together in the Hyatt or whatever right so I mean these are the kinds of things that people do all the time so in that regard maybe the outlet isn't paying them per se but the sponsor or the somebody's paying them I guess to play devil's advocate to the other point I made, it's just going to be on the other side of myself now, but like podcasts are also opinion formats, right? Right. So on the other hand, are they really viewed as sources of objective news or just as sources of edutainment? I think it depends probably on the show. So if it's a news commentary podcast, like I listen to a lot of NPR content 
They have a commentary podcast on politics and it is commentary. You're there for the commentary because you respect the commentators. But they also do a News Now podcast, which is four minutes of like straight dry read of headlines like this happened today, this happened today, this happened today, this happened today. Here's the stock market update. Goodbye. And it's only four minutes. And like that's the way that that, I guess, sub brand is positioned as being just really objective news. So I almost think that because there's so many podcasts and so many types that you can't put podcasts in a bucket of being objective or not, because there's so much diverse content happening in there that like, there's straight commentary podcasts, there's like, somebody talking about like tips for taking care of your pets. And there's somebody over here talking about how to start a business. And there's somebody over here delivering news. It's just so different. Well, I want to back up a tiny bit. Veronica produces at least three podcasts in her life. So why don't you talk a little bit about what you do and what the differences or maybe the nuances are between the podcasts and what you've learned since you started doing this? So the three podcasts that we put out through Trust Relations, they're all related to different aspects of communication. But even within that, the structure of them and the content and the vibe is really, really different between the three. And shows have different chemistry between them. So for the PR wind down, of course, we are going for our kind of irreverent, pulling back the curtain on issues in the industry, talking about things that other PR practitioners might not have a place to talk about or feel comfortable talking about in the context of the industry. So it kind of has that punchy, fun vibe, but then has some of those really serious topics embedded in it. That looks completely different than what we try to create for the Hype Busters podcast, which is like rapid fire, humorous commentary on more often than not, like poorly executed campaigns, calling out things that didn't work, things that are a little bit too weird, or things that are so weird that they do work. But it's got that humor aspect. And there's still some like, uh, nuggets of insight there. But it's just presented in a much more like dry run, like humor focused way. So I think that probably the hardest part about it, and the thing that makes the show so different from each other you kind of have to shape what that identity is going to be. And then, of course, make sure that the dynamic that's happening between the hosts can actually support that dynamic. Because if those mm-hmm. two things don't gel, then you're not going to get something that anybody wants to listen to. And nobody wants that. For and what's sure. the third? Oh, and then we have Trust Relations, the podcast. I think that straddles the line a little bit in that there is a lot of humor happening there and a lot of silly moments and levity and less of the super hard hitting topics that we talk about here on the PR wind down, but a little bit more analytical than what we have happening with Hype Busters. So it's kind of like a happy medium between the two, I think, which just happened really naturally out of the dynamic that happens between April, who is our three-time host, but the co-host on that show, and then Hamish, who is our integrated marketing. Yeah. (laughs) So is it, but that one's more about um, marketing? Yes, yeah, so they it's, all serve different purposes. Yeah, Veronica can explain that, but they they all have different audiences, basically. Yeah, it's a little bit more of that integrated marketing, digital communications world, whereas we stick pretty heavily to the PR stuff on this show, a lot more social media and trend focused on hype busters. And then Trust Relations, the podcast, kind of hits that line of the evolving relationship between PR and integrated marketing and how they're kind of blending together. 
And that's based on the expertise of April having a lot of experience as a PR practitioner and Hamish being more embedded in that um, digital communication side of things. All right. So what have you, are there like two big things that you've learned in the two years? Like you came in and you didn't, you had never done a podcast before, right, Veronica? Right. Mm-hmm. I had just so, listened to them. So then all of a sudden you become like a podcast producer yeah. and what are like some of the biggest things that, that you've learned or that have evolved or whatever? Is there anything that stands out? Yeah. When you first ask, I think what comes to mind for me is number one, that it is a big commitment. If you want it to be good, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort, a lot of hours in the recording booth, a lot of time to edit and a lot of adaptability to make sure that if you want that show to go out on time, you have to be willing to kind of flex and put in the time and make sure that you're producing a good product and have the ability to commit that time. So I think that's one big thing that everybody says it takes a lot of time, but it's kind of like, I don't know, it's like getting a puppy. People say it's going to be hard and time consuming, but it's like way more than you would imagine until you do it. So that's one thing. And then I think the other thing that was probably a little bit harder to learn was if something's not working, you have to get rid of it. You can't keep something because you like the idea of it because that chemistry is being served up on a silver platter to your audience Mm -hmm. that you're trying to reach. And if you're putting something in front of them that clearly doesn't work or isn't creating the vibe that you want to create, you have to get rid of it. You can't force it. It's never going to work and it's going to make everything harder for you. And true or false, the best of the three is this one, right? (laughs) I do. I have such a special place in my heart for the PR wind down because I feel like we all kind of through like the jungle of figuring out podcasting together on this show right. and it has a really special place in my heart it's, it's the eldest <laughs> so that's her way of saying yes without saying yes you can't pick your favorite child but it's okay that's cool there's people who produce like oh what are the ones like Anna Ferris or or the armchair expert you know Dax Shepard or like would you ever want to like produce like a you know a big celebrity hosted one I think it would be really amazing to have access to the resources that you would have with that type of like a huge budget on a big celebrity show, Mm -hmm. because you'd have access to like any sound effect you want, any like custom settings, any, a lot of a broader guest access. You could probably snap up whoever you want on Armchair Expert. I know they recently interviewed Halsey and she's like a mega pop star and they're able to snap up some of those really, really top tier guests. So I think it would be fun to have access to all of the creative options that it would unlock to be able to have all of those resources at your disposal, the team to support it and make sure that you're putting out a product that's worth the amount of money that's behind it. I think that would be really cool, but I can imagine it would also be a lot more complicated in terms of the rules around what your guests are allowed to say, like working under different contracts. I think that there would be a lot of complexity to it and you would need that big team to support how delicate it would be. So I can see it being fun and interesting, but I'm sure it's extremely stressful. (laughs) Well, right. You'd be dealing with some people's like PR people or lawyers. Mm -hmm. And the other part of it, you probably be dealing more with like advertising and sponsorship, right? That's the piece that always interested in me. It, it wouldn't doing like a celebrity or a big, you know, name podcast. Is there anything else, April, that you want to ask Veronica? We didn't ask you that we should have. <laughs> <laughs> what have you learned from doing it? Like, have you learned things about 
your interview style or your dynamic together or your own expertise or how you present on camera or anything like that that you didn't expect to learn from posting? That's a good question. I try not to watch myself on camera back because I think it would make me neurotic. <laughs> For me, I feel like I got more confident in time in just showing up and improving. I think when we first started, I was so nervous. Like, what am I going to say? It's not scripted and I need to have something intelligent to say here. What's it going to be? And I was, oh, I would think I was worried that I wouldn't have anything of interest to say or anything meaningful. One of the things this is going to sound like a little bit or egotistical, but it just feels like I don't know how much I know until I hear myself. And I'm like, oh, I've picked up a lot over the years doing all this stuff. Yeah, I would agree I with have that. that I don't realize I have. And then hearing them, I'm like, oh yeah, I did have that opinion, right? So it's really strange because I hear things come mm-hmm. out on the podcast that I must have thought about at some point in time or must have deep thoughts about at some point. When does it happen? When I'm sleeping? I don't remember. Yeah. It's, not like I, it's not like I sit there and marinate in these thoughts and then come up with some you know, beautiful teriyaki or something. It's like, it just, <laughs> it's like, I just say things that apparently I've thought all along but didn't know I even had opinions on and then the more that that happens the more I start to see connections between them oh that's really interesting I thought this and I thought this but I never put them together but I hear them come out on the podcast and it's like oh those are really unrelated or I really have you know a passion for this particular topic like censorship man did I I mean I was passionate about it but I didn't know I was that into it like that comes up all the time right all these things that come up over and over and over so so that's been really really interesting to see and just feel like I'm getting my sea legs as it were in terms of just being comfortable just okay I'm just gonna say something and maybe it's Mm -hmm. stupid but as long as I can laugh at myself nobody cares and if it's smart then great you know yeah, I I really I do agree with you, April. That sometimes I hear myself say things, especially like on old podcasts. If I click on one, I'm like, "How did I know that?" Or I don't even <laughs> remember like, you know, having that opinion. But the other thing is, and I haven't noticed recently, and I hope it's because I've gotten better. I used to say a, a lot more filler words like um or uh, you know all of that, and I haven't yeah, noticed I it as much you're recently. Really upset about about your life. Yeah, I remember well, that. Yeah, I hated it. And I just started to self-edit. I felt as though I was doing it a lot. And I just haven't heard it as much when, you know, when we edit it, because we got the show and we edit it. I haven't been like, oh my God, there's 50 likes in there or whatever stupid word I was using too much. So I hope it's because I'm doing it less and not because I'm just used to hearing it. I don't hear it anymore. No, there are objectively fewer and it only comes out when you're really excited about a story and you're like really going and you're describing something like exciting uh, banging and then on you the start table. to do it. <laughs> yeah. But there are less. Otherwise, you know, I think I was born to be a, a podcaster, so I'm good. <laughs> Veronica, what other questions do you have for us since you've been behind the scenes? Any other burning, like, I wonder what it's like, or like, I don't know, anything, anything else that's been in your head that you didn't even know was in your head? Sure. When it comes to the topics, I know a lot of the times we're kind of touching base a little bit about what we're going to discuss in the show beforehand. You kind of pick things that pique your interest, but you don't really start diving into it until you're doing it live. And essentially what we're getting is your live reactions and your active stream of thought as you're thinking Mm -hmm. through things for the first time. Do you, is that like a new process 
to you, like, were you historically somebody that maybe before a client call would sit down and like really prepare and think through what you wanted to say? And it's a new skill doing it on the podcast, or is that just the way that you like to work? I will let Laura answer first. Well, that's why I said I was born to podcast because I'm much better. Um, uh, I've talked about, I did stand up comedy and I did improv and I'm way better at improv. The preparing for it, it, it's, it's almost, it kills me. That's funny. I'm the opposite. So I will say that I think some of the doing it on the fly is just necessity because of my schedule being so crazy. And it's just, there's not time to, you know, think through everything immediately beforehand. Some of that I've gotten better at because I'm on new business calls all day. And basically that is improv because you don't know what people, what questions people are going to ask you. You don't know how they're, you're going to have to read the room and like delivers things slightly differently depending on how people are responsive. You have to watch their micro expressions. Okay. They seem really interested when I said this thing about dream teams, let me dig into that further. And so I think some of it is, I think I've become a better listener and being a good listener means that you don't always come with a prepared speech mm-hmm. because if you come with a prepared speech, then what's going to happen is you're going to show up. I mean, this even happens in relationships, right? You're like, oh, okay. you're thinking, yeah. yeah, like you have this fight. This is the thing I'm going to say. And right. I need all of my points across and I need to say them right now. And so you like come to the table and you're like, these are all the things you need to know, but it's like, where's the listening, the give and take the actual yeah. communicating because like a friend of mine said, um, this is my, one of my favorite things he said when we had dinner last week, it turns out that I'm really good at saying a lot of words. I'm not really good at communicating, (laughs) (laughs) which is like such a brilliant way of saying that. And I think that if you get too locked into, all right, these are all the things I want to, the points I want to make about the article you do crush that blossoming flower of what together you and the co-host are going to discover in mm-hmm. chatting it through. Mm-hmm. 100%. And I kind of did trial and error. So I would show up and prepared. Okay, I read this thing and highlighted the four points that I wanted to make sure that I quote. And these are the other three messages that I, these are my three thoughts about it. But then it also reads as really stiff, I think, on a podcast setting and even in spoken word on a new biz call or anything like that if it's supposed to sound conversational and authentic you just can't script it like that and then it sounds weird I know Hamish and I when we first started were really neurotic about okay let's talk through this okay do we have anything insightful to say because we don't want to waste people's time and that's a valid concern Mm -hmm. you don't want to show up and blah 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 and navel gaze and then waste everyone's time listening to you talk about yourself and pontificate on you know their your grand thoughts you had in the bathtub but it's like you still but you still want to like show up and have something of value so it is a weird fine line you know you have to think through why am I saying this what what am I communicating or am I just saying a lot of words (laughs) do you think that hosting a show makes you better when you're in the interview seat for you know a publication talking to a journalist or presenting a panel that kind of stuff has it helped you with your speaking and interviewing at all? Or, I mean, I know you have a lot of experience in that, so you might just already be great yeah, at that's, it. But. No, no, that's a good question. I, I would say, like, Laura, that's my natural gift is interviewing and being curious and putting other people first and asking 
questions and reading them. But you know what? Now that you say it, I'm, I may have discovered the art of improv as a journalist as well, because I would show up with, okay, I need these three things answered. But if you just come in and you ask them dryly, and you talk, oh, something you just said there was interesting. Let me pick up on it. Can you expand? But if you're like, okay, answer question one. Great. Okay. Question two. And <laughs> you kind of like, like you can learn a lot more. Again, it goes back to the listening. If you're listening, oh, I think I heard something in there that I wouldn't have even thought to ask. Let me ask this first. It doesn't mean you can't still have the four things you're going to ask, but like, and if you have an adept interviewee, they're not going to let you go down the list of like prepared questions, right? No, because so, they have the agenda of what they want to talk right. about. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, you know, and, and you can tell when you're being interviewed, now that I've started being interviewed on the other side of it, you can tell when people aren't listening and when they are. I don't know that I become a better interviewer as much as better, more comfortable saying things myself. Because it was always, I mean, I think part of the reason I'm in PR is I'm a lot more comfortable communicating on behalf of other people. I have a hard time advocating for myself. I think it's started to give me confidence. I think that, and this was the last thing I'll say, when we have guests, I try to kind of bring like the, the background human out of people when I can and ask them like kind of crazy questions, partially for my own humor, but partially to make it not just another interview when we're asking them about PR and what they do for a living. Yeah. So Veronica, any favorite horror stories or other favorite moments from the podcast or podcast bloopers? Oh my goodness. Podcast bloopers are amazing. It's hard sometimes to pick which bloopers are going to make the cut because we have a lot of bloopers. Um, so I don't know if I can pick a favorite blooper, but horror stories. Oh my gosh. We've really had some amazing horror stories. The shamrock dance situation <laughs> was particularly funny, but we have had, oh my gosh, crazy, crazy, crazy. That one about the person that worked with celebrity PR and had a high profile client. I'm, it's coming back to me. They were a junior person working on an account for a high profile celebrity and the junior person accidentally pitched an announcement on behalf of the celebrity prior to the announcement going out and right. was able to like covertly kind of pin it on the celebrity for having a mention in the fine print on their website. That one like blew my mind when we opened it. Yeah. It, it was like a pretty heavy hitter situation. And I think it was one of the first write-ins we've had where the stakes were so high and the mistake was so like, oh, it gutted me. It gutted me to read that one. But then it worked out, right? Like they did magically. Uh, yes. He just had that PR secret gods. that he had done this or she had done this. Right. And nobody ever found out. God, that was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, everyone knows about the Shamrock one. That was for me. Um, yes, that was you. I, I told that I told that live in, in uh, the and podcast. you admitted it was you. Oh, yeah. Um, any Any hopes for the future, Veronica, for the podcast? Do you have any like dreams for the PR wind down? Yeah, I think as we've evolved a lot, we've kind of been able to pin down some of those guests that really make magic for us. So I think now that we have some really good propulsion behind us, we're getting pitched a lot of inbound guests. There's a lot of room for us to take 
a really intentional way to kind of identify those people that are really amazing spokespeople and they fit the vibe of what we're trying to do with the show and the way that you and Laura are looking to break down industry issues and really confront things that are important in PR. I think it's nice to see kind of over the horizon the opportunity to really, really refine that and make some meaningful connections with those types of guests who are kind of cut from that same PR cloth and looking for that same reprieve. We've had tons of wonderful guests, but now we have a really good handle on those guests that really make magic and kind of fit into that really niche thing that you're trying to solve in the industry. So that's exciting to me. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Veronica, for joining us as a last minute guest. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, thank you. I'll go back to the behind the scenes. All right. Uh, Thanks, Veronica. So, April, we haven't talked about things I should have been trained on yet. Oh, okay. So, what should we have been trained on, Laura? So, were you trained on how to follow up with a reporter without annoying them into despair? <laughs> into despair. The drama. Um, with a reporter without annoying them into despair is anybody trained on that i don't think anybody is trained on it i think we learn as we go what have you taught yourself since you were not trained properly laura so it's funny because like early days of agency you know i had a i worked for horrible some horrible people and the first one would just be like you know he just yell at you to follow up and keep calling and keep calling and it's like dude like really like i can't like it just can't it's just but you know there's some people in the industry particularly in like new york probably who like have no shame and don't care like they'll just show up at somebody's house like i just am not that type of person yeah what i have done to fit into my own personality has decided that i will only follow up with somebody a certain number of times usually maximum three uh-huh. unless it's something i really think that somebody is a great fit but still I wouldn't go beyond three and what I have learned partially from some people who work for you and other people is to change it up so when you follow up the second time just don't say hey just following up say something new change the subject header say something additional or interesting or oh I read what you wrote today and it reminded me that I wanted to see if you were interested in my guy or gal something different and I have to say that it works it doesn't not work and this is when you really have media targets that are very tailored to what you're trying to pitch if you're just sending out a press release to you know 47 reporters because they're in the industry and don't follow up with every single one of them with like some new twist on the same thing pick like the five or ten that you think that really would write about this you know and work with that and maybe you're offering them an exclusive you know there might be some other bigger strategy too and so in that case you would want to approach them different than you're just like hey here's some you know interesting news I thought you might want to cover which doesn't seem to happen as much as it used to anyway the following up with the press release thing is so 19 I don't know 90 something but those are the things that I've learned keep and keeping your eye on social media I mean that didn't exist back in the day so so if you see on social media somebody might be like 
hey, I'm on vacation. You'd be like, oh, well, I'm not following up with them three times because they're in Italy. Yeah, I completely agree with you on switching things up. And sometimes I've even, okay, I have a different story angle that might be a better fit if that one didn't catch them. And it's like a slight spin on what I pitched before. So I'm going to just change it 30 degrees. Yep. Maybe this will get them. I like the idea too, Laura, of, of changing the subject heading. You know, if you sent out 50% of your emails with one subject heading and 50% of your pitches, a different one, and you noticed that most of them got opened that had this other subject heading, you know, shift it up or, yeah. or, you know, find a new statistic or a new example or anecdote or research report or industry mm -hmm. trend or whatever that it speaks to and see if maybe trying it from a slightly different angle, 30 degrees to the right or left, you know, is, is going to get more traction. Yeah. Bottom line is you need to be as targeted as possible to begin with. Yeah. So then following up with them isn't like, oh my God, I'm just the most annoying person in the world. Yeah. But I feel like when I first started learning PR at agencies, they're just like, here, like pitch this release or whatever, and just pitch it until every single person that's on this list answers you somehow. It's like, oh my God, that's so not valuable. Well, you don't just pick up the phone and call them until you get a no. Right. Well, that was sort of what I was told to do. Yeah, same. Imagine calling somebody 10 times now. Oh, my God. So true confession. Do you have an example of where you followed up way too much in a negative consequence or followed up in the wrong way and got a negative consequence? I'm sure there was. I just can't remember recently. I Oh, well, recently, and maybe I mentioned this before, I followed up with somebody who seemed completely targeted and the reporter freaked out on me. and like, you don't even know what I cover. Haven't you read? Why are you bothering me? And I was like, um, okay, yeah, I did read actually what you write about and you write about this. So, okay. Sometimes people are just a little nuts. Right. Or it's like they see a very clear angle on what they're writing about, like retail, but it's got some really specific leaning. Right. Retail specific that you aren't able to easily see but somehow in their head it's super obvious right exactly you think you're pitching them on something they write about but to them they writing about something much different or more specific exactly I think that's what happened with that one yeah that's what it sounds but like, like he spent a lot of time like writing me telling me what like a fool I was <laughs> you know and it was like okay dude really oh I don't know how they find the time for that I don't have the time for that it's like delete 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 but right if you're gonna write just be like you know this isn't for me right not a great fit. Thanks. Okay. So any other thoughts, feelings, or wisdom bombs you want to drop on that before we move into the anonymous PR horror story of the week? No, let's move into the horror story. Okay. Do not open until podcast. Hello. My boss was probably a birthday clown in another life. Maybe he should be now. I took a new agency job a few months ago because my last spot was very toxic. Shocking, right? In terms of toxic culture, the new agency is better, and that is a reprieve. No micromanaging, no expectations that you'll work until seven every night or skip your lunch breaks, no binge drinking. But here's the thing. My boss is a startup-y guy, and his whole culture approaches, do your best always, but don't take things too seriously. It's PR not ER, which on paper is a great approach. Work hard, do a good job, but don't give yourself a stomach ulcer over it, right? 
Well, that's not all it means. Turns out this man loves pranks. Like, a lot. At first, I thought it was just a little bit of hazing. He'd hide my mouse pad under my chair, tape my mouse to my desk, that kind of stuff. That I'd usually find first thing in the morning, think it was weird, but try to be a good sport, laugh, then move on with my day. But it's a whole office thing. Someone will bring an empty donut box to work and leave it in the break room to prank the boss. And then he'll do something to, quote, get them back. And then he thinks it's hilarious. And he's even written articles about what he calls a culture reset founded on fun. But it's getting to be too much for me. Here's where it got bad. I'm a big time coffee drinker. And I'm always making a pot at the agency office. One morning, somebody apparently decided to fill the boss's desk drawers with dozens of coffee filters. He thought it was me and retaliated, quote unquote, by loosening the screws on my chair. I'd had a hard morning. My dog recently died. I had a big client project due and my check engine light came on. I came into the office on D-Day, sat in my chair and the arms and back clattered to the floor. Oh my God. I didn't fall out, but I had to spend 45 minutes reassembling it on the verge of tears from the morning I had. I wasn't even the one who did the original prank. How do I approach him with this? I want to opt out of the pranks entirely, but it's his vision, quote unquote. Ugh. <sighs> of, course, of course, it's a guy, first of all. You know, it's it's like the guy who wants all the attention. He's the class clown, and he's not funny, really, anyway. And it, it's just, it, this is not a circus. It's just not my personality. It's not mine either. I know a company, not a PR agency. I know a, another company that does stuff like this. Not as much about the pranking, but more about this sort of like talking each other and sarcasm so it's a lot of oh well you know you're a piece of anyway so who cares just lots of kind of inappropriate humor and it's just part of the fabric of that company and I don't honestly culture starts at the top and if this is clearly what he wants there's no way around it so I think it's either adapt to it be okay with it try to stay out of it as much as you can or move on you're not going to change the culture if that's what he's clearly defined for himself and is something he admires about right sounds like this person already wasn't participating in the pranks actively and then just got dragged into it because of this coffee affiliation (laughs) which is funny i thought they were gonna say that the coffee they didn't have any coffee filters to make coffee one morning right i thought it was gonna like coffee pouring out all over the place yeah 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 i don't like but even the sarcasm thing which i'm all about I don't like that either at work. It's this weird Lord of the Flies or like hierarchy thing or who's in on the joke and who's not or who's, I don't like it. If you're going to do that, if that's your thing, do it with your friends. You know what I mean? Don't do it at work. Do it professionally. Nobody's going to work to like make, have their life be made even more difficult enough. Yeah. Maybe you have one or two friends at work who you're sort of on the same page with that stuff. And that's good. Stick to those friends, but don't make the whole office get involved in this sort of thing. I think it's very self-centered and it creates a a click in a hierarchy. I don't really have any other advice on that other than it's pretty good story. It's funny. I guess, right. I guess either try to find the humor in it or or get out. It's funny because as you were talking about, I started screwing the screws in my cheap 
desk chair that I have to make sure that it doesn't like, fall apart. Yeah, they just like come unscrewed <laughs> on their own because it's such a cheap chair. Oh, that's funny. Oh, look at the kitty. No, put his foot up. Like, my cat is laying in front of the refrigerator to get the hot air because it's not hot enough in New York. In her hand, she's got the whole cat. In her hand, she's got the whole cat. In her hand, she's got the whole cat in her hand. You don't even know what I that's from, do you? She's got the whole world in her hand. You, oh, you do know that song. Of course. With that note, do you want to wrap it up? I do. Do we have any sponsor us? You know, sometimes on this podcast, we tell you about the latest and greatest products rocking our worlds. Some are PR related, some aren't. You know, any of people involved in these products hear this, they are more than welcome to sponsor us as we discussed during this podcast. Uh-huh. So the price of everything has gone through the roof, right? Yeah. And I like smelly candles. But a lot of times they're like $40 or something, right? And I usually have them burning. And now that I'm home most of the time working, like I could go through like one a week and I'm not spending that kind of money on candles. Yeah. But if you have the coupons from, hold on, the Bed Bath & Beyond coupons. Yes. And then not every store, but some of them or the Harmon have these, do you know, the Myers? Yes, I do. Mm-hmm candles yes. so they're Myers. 10 but if you have this then it's what eight so eight dollars oh wow that's a good deal for a candle that's and they smell really good oh, yeah so i often get these so i'm a fan of the myers clean day candles this is basil clean day is definitely their best scent i think so I there to... i love that oh um, it's myers <laughs> i like i like all their products their candles are really good the soaps are I'm that's all I use for soap. It's what I use for my cleaning supplies. Very pretty Okay. You gonna do a seance? What's happening now? <laughs> all right. All right. Well, thank you so much for tuning in for the PR Wine Dumb podcast. And thank you to Veronica. Woo, Veronica. Veronica for joining us today for the <laughs> interview segments <laughs> remember to submit your own agency stories and questions and share a show with your friends and colleagues if you subscribe and leave us a rating it will help us reach new listeners like you and if you have an anonymous pr horror story of your own please send it our way at the contact email below the episode notes we can't wait to wind down with you again next time Oh my god, our producer, Veronica, just came from behind the scenes only on Zoom chat and said she has an unscented Britney Spears votive candle on her desk and she just adds essential oils to make it scented. Oh. That's very smart. I didn't even know that was a thing. Isn't she doing a remake of an Elton John song with Elton John? Yes, it's her big comeback single. Tiny Dancer. You know how I say I always sing songs about my cat? So that's yes. one of the songs. I Hold Me Closer, Small Fur Dancer. Small fur dancer. Oh, that's adorable. Oh, what's that tiny person? Hold me closer, tiny dancer. I should have known. Kitty, I'm squeezing my kitty. I'm squeezing my kitty. Oh, creepy.
I'm petting. I'm petting my baby. Oh, I'm petting. I'm crushing her. Crush. Crush. Crush her little head. Crush, 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 crush. crush. Like from Tommy Boy. And then I love my little pet. And then I massage it. He's like, he's talking about what he does with sales. And then he wins the sales. And then at the end, he's like, and he rips the thing in half and like crumbs flying everywhere. Oh, Chris Farley. We're weird. We got off on a weird tangent. Um, 